This is The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody, on this hump day Wednesday. And uh, joining us online now is Andrew Brewer. He is with Downs Racklin Martin. And we're going to talk about the governor's address and some other issues. Uh, this is a Down, Downs Racklin Martin legislative report. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, guys. How are you this morning? Doing great. We're doing well. And so uh, let's start out. Of course, yesterday was the big budget address. And can yeah. you give us a little bit, first of all, on uh, we know housing is a huge issue. We also know that the governor's indicated it's a tough budget. The federal money's dried up. What yeah. What did you get? What did you take out of the governor's budget address in regard to housing? So I, I overheard a, a colleague make this comment yesterday in the state house that I kind of liked, which he says, you know, until... Until the governor um, delivers his budget address, it feels like uh, everybody plays nice. And then the moment after that address is issued, uh, the gloves come off, right? Because <laughs> now, we, now, we now we've got a line in the sand. Now we have some numbers to go by, and now the real fighting begins. And when it comes to housing, he did speak quite a bit about it. Um, you know, there's quick, you know, my, my quick back of the napkin look at it is there's like $65 plus million plus in there for for various housing programs. There's more money for Vermont Housing Improvement Program. There's more. There's 24 million for Vermont Housing Conservation Board. Um, quite a bit of money, 24 million plus between the budget adjustment and this budget for um, emergency housing. And I and we'll we'll go through it with a fine tooth comb, and I think we'll find more. Um, and you know, all these it's all good. All these programs are good. They're all necessary. Um, we need you know reasonable money put wherever we can. And but those come down to just how much money do we have, right? And so, the, you know, but the important part, the, the 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 tougher conversations that are happening right now with the legislature, is around uh, how you know permit reform, and and I know that uh, Kurt spent a lot of time there and probably heard a lot of testimony on on land use policies and Act 250, and those have been the major conversations so far in both the House and the Senate. What and are there differences though? Is the Senate focusing on some different aspects in regard to uh, Act 250 than the House is? They sure are. Uh, the Senate, if you remember, maybe two weeks ago, uh, there was a press conference with the governor uh, standing next to uh, this tripartisan group of House members, uh, Democrats, progressives, Republicans, um, all calling for some land use reform. And uh, uh, Senator uh, Keisha Rahm, Democratic Senator Keisha Rahm Hinsdale, who chairs the uh, Senate um, uh, Commerce Committee. And they are focusing on... You know, the parts of Act 250 that I think people talk about and understand a lot, which is, when do you need a permit? What triggers a jurisdictional permit um, that my project needs to have an Act 250 permit? And that part people understand. They don't understand it. They're like, well, you know, why, why do we, you know, what triggers a permit when some, when some other product project does not? Um, and they're going to focus squarely, the Senate's going to focus squarely on those uh, conversations about how do we eliminate you know, you have to get your municipal permit, and then you also have to get an Act 250 permit on top of that. You essentially do do it all over again. When we know there are cities and towns that have very professional planning departments um, who do excellent work and can issue a permit that protects the environment, protects our waterways, and then they also have to get an Act 250 on top of that. And the governor has long argued against that, long said we need some exemptions for these areas to move much-needed housing projects along quicker. On the House side, they're taking a little different approach. Um, 
kind of the, the other side of Act 250 is, is the governance piece, how Act 250 is administered. And right now, um, it's administered uh, by the Natural Resources Board. And what's being contemplated on the House side is reverting back to the original form of Act 250, 50 years ago, called an Environmental Review Board. And, and the important distinction there is that right now, if your permit gets appealed or, or, if, or if somebody wants to appeal a permit that has been given, the first stop of appeals is court. You go to the Environmental Division of Superior Court, and your appeal is heard by a, you know independent, objective, uh, learned environmental judge who, who looks at, you know, looks, looks at your entire project all over again and, you know, supposedly doesn't come with any biases attached. This change would move appeals back. The first stop would be to this new environmental review board of professionals, but non-judicial. Um, it wouldn't be a board of judges. It would be a board of, of people who are, you know, not in a court system looking at these appeals. And the concern there is that there's just way too much room for political will to insert itself into the process. So two very different tracks of conversations happening on Act 250. So the House really is is looking at going, I'm sorry, backwards to an unelected appointed board that will be appointed at political will as opposed to maintaining, in theory, uh, you know, a judge is impartial and they're learned on the on, yeah. on, uh, in, in, on the environment. That's, yeah. that's, that's what the House is discussing right now is an yeah. option for appeals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they probably wouldn't say it's going backwards, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is essentially what it is. Yeah. Well, and, I... You know, yeah, to be fair, you know, their, their idea is that, you know, a couple of things they believe, uh, some of the testimony they've been given anyways, is that, you know, is this, this board, this new board, which is 100% devoted to nothing but Act 250, um, you know, would, would be able to get appeals done faster. They don't have other, they don't have A&R permits. They don't have municipal permits like the current court uh, environmental division does. It would just be Act 250. Um, they would also, you know, and this part appeals to some people that it would, when, when this new board is hearing an appeal, they would actually go to the district from whence this permit came. And, you know, the idea is that it, you, you maintain the local flavor. You get down there and you hear from the people directly, and you're in the town where this project is, is uh, you know, where the permit's um, happening. And a lot of that, I think, sounds warm and fuzzy to a lot of people. Um, but, again, the concern is, yeah, uh, there would be – it's an interesting process uh, what's laid out in the legislation for setting up this board. Um, uh, the governor uh, would get a list. Of, of people to to nominate to this board from a nominating committee, uh, and the nominating committee is made up of two members from the governor, two members from the house, two members from the senate. And actually, I think that nominating committee is where a great deal of the of the influence and power would lie in choosing this board. Um, and there's no question that the that the proponents of this change feel that. Uh, you know, they'd have a better chance of influencing and, uh, in, in, you know, working on Act 250 through rulemaking with this new board than they do with the court system. We're talking to Andy Brewer this morning with the Downs-Rackland-Martin Legislative Report. He, Andy is a government relations specialist. 
And uh, Andy, if I can ask you, that's a fancy word, by the way, for lobbyist. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> now, Andy, in the Senate, uh, can you give us a quick uh, synopsis of what the grand bargain is? Sure. So, for the past several years, um, you know, there's been, it's been dubbed this this grand bargain between uh, you know the, the administration. Uh, and housing lobbyists who, who want to be able to uh, build some homes and units uh, easier, and uh, you know, for environmental groups and, and advocates who would would prefer to expand uh, Act 250 protections. And it's it's kind of simply put, what it would be a trade off is that we're some of these towns that have this kind of robust planning that we're talking about. Um, would be exempt from having Act 250 permits on there. Now, we're really talking about kind of core downtown areas, you know, core downtown Burlington, core downtown Montpelier, Rutland, um, the areas where we want to have infill development um, and encourage development. And in exchange for that, uh, uh, there would be further protections for our forests in the form of what they're what they're calling protecting forest blocks, these kind of, Tracts of forests that are maintained, they don't have roads through them, big forest blocks um, that we want to protect. There's definitions of what a connecting habitat is and things like that. And what, what, what would happen is those definitions would be added to the current Act 250 criteria. And when somebody gets a permit, um, it's just another criteria you'd have to answer in your permit. Does it present any undue impact uh, on a forest block, for instance? Yep, yep. Um, and so it's been kind of a trade-off. And, you know, this, the thing is saying, look, we don't want to build out here, and so we're going to try to encourage building here in our downtowns. And um, that's been the same conversation for several years in a row. Um, this year it's been repackaged a little bit. Um, there were many, I won't get into the details, there were many study committees this summer um, looking at different uh, aspects of Act 250. Uh, but one of them was a, uh, a, lo- a long report on, on the, the functions of the Natural Resources Board in modernizing Act 250, right. and they, they, they're calling it these tier systems you may have heard about. So yeah. tier, tier one would be these downtowns. Um, tier three would be these very highly sensitive ecological areas where we really want to try to protect you know, the forests and, and high mountains. Yeah. And then tier two is kind of everything else in the state. Now, now Andrew, let me ask you this. We, we have a couple callers that call into the show. And they've uh, expressed the concern in the past that the changes made to Act 250 uh, might lead to Vermont looking like New Jersey. Uh, yeah. Do you th- think those fears are warranted, or are, is, does this grand bargain speak to why it won't end up looking like New Jersey? Yeah, uh, I don't think it is. And and you, it's an excellent question, and we hear that point a lot. And and you know the truth is is that uh, there's a lot of good people out there who know how to create messaging. <laughs> and if you want to stop something, uh, that becomes uh, what you say. You said, you know, either either we can ha- keep Vermont beautiful the way it is, or we're going to look like uh, the interstate in New Jersey. Like, there's nothing in between. And that's where housing advocates and folks are really trying to have an honest conversation about what we're doing. Um, nobody believes that, uh, well, some people do. I don't happen to believe that if you, if you relax uh, some some of the active fifty restrictions, and you allow some units to be built easier uh, in our downtowns and our core areas. It's not going to destroy what we all love about Vermont. So it's about building housing where it makes most sense, 
and and not destroying the landscape of Vermont. That's right. Okay. You heard the governor yesterday in his um, budget address talk about this. Um, you've, you've, people may have heard of this ten five five rule. Ten yeah. five five. That got talked about a lot last year. Yeah. And, uh, simply, what it means is that um, uh, a developer uh, or, or 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 even a one one off one at a time builder can build uh, nine units within five miles in five years uh, of, of the other units without triggering Act 250. But that 10th unit within five miles in five years triggers Act 250 and every unit thereafter, you know, within five years. Um, I think I think I understand where that came from 50 years ago. They just had to come up with some way to kind of put a check on, on growth. But 50, actually 52 years later now, it's very outdated. And you've, you know, you've got, you know, small builders, Somebody building a duplex a couple times a year, um, not not somebody building 30, 40, 50 units like a big developer would. And they're bumping up against uh, this rule, and they literally cannot build a single-family home um, without without triggering that 250 permit. Andy, we're just, um, we're just about out of time. I just want to get a couple yeah. other questions in, quick, uh, get a quick response to you. Is there consensus... Um, with people that we always hear the government talk, uh, the governor talk about that. We don't need more taxes. We need more taxpayers. We need more people in the state. Therefore we need more housing. Um, is there consensus and agreement about with him about that? No. And I, I think it's a conversation. A lot of people would like to hear more about this underlying discussion of, should we have more people in the state? A simple question like that. And I think, you know, if you were to, you know, put truth serum in people's coffee in the morning and then, and then ask that question. <laughs> a lot of people would say no. They like it the way it is. And you know what? We can make that policy decision. We can decide we love our state just the way it is, just the size it is. I argue that in 20 years, if we still have 650,000 people roughly like we have now. That would actually represent monumental shift, not because there's any more people, but because the makeup and the demographics of people would be entirely different. Um, we will we will be um, a state of wealthy people by then. Think yeah. about that. Is that if we, you know, if we if we limit the number of homes, thereby limiting the number of people in the state, well, those homes and prices are going to go up dramatically. Who's going to be able to afford them? Right. And the, the folks who live and work in the service industry industry in our state, who are middle income, you're talking nurses and teachers. The fear is they won't be able to live here. Anymore. Right. And and mm-hmm. lastly, I guess, do you feel that if we modernize Act 250 as I think a lot of people agree that should happen. Will that take care of the housing crisis? Yeah, not by itself. And and everybody needs to be honest about that. There are, you know, everybody who says, I have the answer, you're wrong. <laughs> if you have one thing that you think is the answer, that's wrong. Um, there's a dozen things we need to be doing. Um, you know, we, as a state, what are we going to do about the, what can Vermont really do about the cost of materials to build a home? Probably not a whole lot. Um, what are we going to do about the labor costs involved right now in building a home? Not a whole lot. Um, but one of the things we can do is modernize that piece of it that makes it more difficult through permitting to build a home. Um, so there's a lot that we need to do. Um, there's more money, hopefully, on the table to incentivize uh, the building of, you know, uh, affordable housing and moderate income housing. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's going to take all hands on deck. Um, and nobody's pretending that just Act 250 alone is going to solve the problem. All hands on deck. That sounds like a that's familiar. That sounds like a political uh, candidate. <laughs> it does sound like that. Uh, all right. Hey, Andy Brewer from Downs Rockland Martin with this week's legislative report. Thanks for all that uh, that great report. You bet, you guys. Thank you.